0: with mute in the radio. Big up to the number one station the Holy Nation. Give it to me every time. Ah!
1: My name is Breakfast, and I'm running for Chancellor of the United States of America. For too long, we have gone without a Chancellor who is willing to take bold leaps of faith and logic to create new possibilities for our great, big, fat, As your chancellor, I will balance the budget on the head of a pin. Give entertaining speeches. Have scandalous affairs. Write strongly worded letters to unpopular foreign leaders. Look good on camera. End all hunger, crime, abuse, war, disease, disasters, sadness, depression, oppression, repression, suppression, transgression, obsession, expression, impression.
2: are all in, and the peach trees are riding. And the oranges are piled in the crystal dumps. Well, you're flying them back to the Mexican border to pay all their money to wait back again. Goodbye to you, Juan, and goodbye, Rosalita. Goodbye, mi amigo, de Susan Maria. You won't have a name when you fly the big airplane. And all they will call you is just deportee. My father's own father, he waded that river. Well it took all the money that he made in his life. My sisters and brothers came work in the fruit tree and they rode in the truck till it took down and died goodbye to you, goodbye, Rosalita, goodbye, mi amigo, Jesus and Maria, you won't have a name when you fly the big airplane, for all they will call you is just deportee. Now, some of us are illegal, and some are not wanted. Our work contracts out, and we've got to move on. Six hundred miles to the Mexican border. They chase us like outlaws, like rustlers, like thieves. You will goodbye, Rosalita. Goodbye, oh, my amigo, Jesus, and Maria. Boy, you won't have a name when you ride the big
3: airplane.
2: And all they will call you is just deportee. Well we died in your hills and we died in your desert and we died in your valleys and we died on your plain We died neath your trees and we died neath the bushes both sides of the river we died just the same Well, the sky plane caught fire over Los Gatos Canyon A fireball of lightning shook all our hills Who are all those people all scattered like dry leaves well, the radio says he just deported We can grow our big orchards, is this the best way? We can grow our good fruit, to fall like dry leaves, and rot on your topsoil, and be called by no name except for tea. Goodbye to you, Juan. Goodbye, Rosalita. Goodbye, me, amigo, Jesus, and Maria. You won't have a name when you ride the big airplane. We're all living come.
4: A lot of poor men make a $5 bill, but we'll keep him happy all the time. Some of the fellas making nothing at all, and you can hear him cry. Can I go, buddy? Can I go down? Take your ship down the mine. Gotta get down to the government mine. Gotta get down to the government mine. That's where I mainly spend my time. $5 a day Made any more I might move, move away a lot of poor men Got the Cumberland Blues He can't win For losing A lot of poor men Got to walk the land Just to pay his union dues I don't know now I just don't know If I'm going back again I don't know now I just don't know If I'm going back again I don't know now I just don't know If I'm going back again
5: On that note, good morning. This is the Labor and Love Show, and you're tuned to Mutiny Radio. It's 10 a.m. Every Saturday, we come into your home with labor news, commentary, history, and opinion. Labor and Love Radio, where the labor meets the road. One person gets a dollar they didn't work for. Someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. You don't have a seat at the table, a negotiating table, that is, where you work. You're on the menu. And never, but never, let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. This is the B member of two labor unions, coming at you on Mutiny, the Mutiny, 2781 21st Street. Full service community arts center. Comedy, radio, video, graphic art. You name it, we got it. Come on down to Mutiny and make your mark and find your voice. We started off today with... uh, A set, the last one there was the Cumberland Blues uh, by the Dead. The uh, quandary that a young working man is in makes $5 a day. Got to pay his union dues. He doesn't know if he's going back. Where would he go? This is the question for working people. you don't like your job, what can you do? especially in a situation like that. Cumberland, we're talking about the mine. And uh, Barbara Dane was before that. Barbara Dane was a classic by Woody Guthrie, You're Just Deportees. I want to point out that there's a guy named Tim Z. Hernandez, a Chicano writer, who made it a point to try to find out who those deportees were and what their names were. Because the song says, you're just deportees, you know. That's how it would look in the newspaper when this crash happened. So he made it a point to go back and uh, find out and had some success. There's one guy he found out who, every year, brings a uh, flower arrangement and lays it on the grave of those who died. And leading us off was the late Ann Feeney with uh, Dump the Bosses Off Your Back, one of her classic labor songs. Good advice, huh? Dump the Bosses Off Your Back. What have we got for you today on Labor and Love Radio? Let's see here. We've got... Another excerpt from Working, Stutz Turkle's classic oral history of people and their work. We've got an excerpt from The People Speak by Howard Zinn. We got Radio Labor. We got Labor History in Two. Got a documentary about Malcolm X, February 21st, 1965 the date that Minister Malcolm X was murdered with the collusion of the CIA and the government and the New York City Police Department. Newsbroke's reporter talking about climate change, Francesca Fiorentini. Writer Sarah Jaffe talks about work and why it won't love you back. A little commentary on Ernesto Galarza, one of the great uh, intellectuals and labor leaders in the 40s and 50s. Look at labor notes. We got the largest strike in history in India, going on in India. Take a look at that. We got a lot going on here. We'll see if we can cover it all. And interspersed in all of that, we've got uh, songs by Playing for Change. Playing for Change is a project funded by musicians from all over the world, and what they do is they make they make music they make music but they spread it out so people are playing their parts from all over the world and then it's put together into a a coherent recording i will have some playing and playing for change let's start with this one by
0: Thank you, I'm gonna do this song for my friend back here, (laughs) Mark.
6: Their vocals and their approach to the guitar and to the slide was so incredible. And they are the heart and soul of every chorus of the wait. I mean, they lift it and add that glory to every chorus. It's really fantastic.
3: You better come on. In my kitchen, it's going to be outdoors. Ooh.
6: The timing was cool because it was the 50th anniversary of The Wait. And at the time, uh, my dad and Capitol Records were working on doing some type of release to celebrate the album music from Big Pink. I really wanted to do something special for my dad. That was a real, like the, that was the thrust behind it. I was like, I kind of just wanted to gift something and celebrate him and that song in a really unique way. The rest is history.
4: (laughs) Well, The Wait was a song I've been familiar with as long as I can remember. As, As clear as I can hear you know, like a family member's voice,
7: that's a song that's just synonymous with feeling at like home,
0: and feeling like
6: all is
7: going to be What keys are in, Robbie?
3: Jeff
4: Demented. Pulling the Nazareth, I was feeling <laughs> bad at best, yeah. Just need some grace, Oh shit.
0: I'm not afraid of
3: Yeah. show. Yeah.
8: September
9: 77 bought Elizabeth weather fine It was business as usual In police room 61
5: that was one of our playing for change sets hope you liked it we started out on that one with bring it on home great Sam Cooke song and followed it up with the weight a little bit at the beginning telling about the production of that that version of the (coughs) weight featuring Ringo Starr Robbie Robertson I think we had Yo Yo Mine there on the Biko one. The last one was Peter Gabriel, late of Genesis, uh, with Biko, his song about the South African freedom fighter who was murdered while in jail, Steve Biko. And just remember you're tuned into Labor and Love Radio. And this is where we bring you labor news, opinion, commentary, history. Let's get on with our world news report now from Radio Labor. We're going to have three separate.
10: should be so easy,
4: can there be a detour ahead, wake up,
3: slow down, before you crash and break your heart, gullible clown, you fool your head.
5: Waiting right now for uh, Radio
11: Labor.
12: This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor.
11: This is a Radio Labor report recorded on
3: Wednesday.
5: We had it there for a minute. See if we can get it back. Radio Labor is uh, reports on labor news all around the world.
12: This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor.
11: This is a Radio Labor report recorded on Wednesday, February 17th, 2021. I'm Mark Belanger. While the renewable energy sector continues to grow dramatically, there are many workers employed in the energy sector who are not ready for the transition. This is especially true in Australia, where coal is an important export. To explore the challenges facing these and other workers, the Global Union Industrial organized a webinar on energy transition. Industrial represents more than fifty million union members working in the supply chains of the mining, manufacturing and energy sectors. It has just released a major report on the transition taking place towards green sustainable energy. One of the participants in the webinar was Peter Coley, the National Research Director for Australia's CFMEU union.
7: Australia is in the unusual situation. Developed country, but its main export industries are minerals and energy. We're the biggest coal exporter in the world. So what we're dealing with here is not just a domestic transition issue, but our international trade transition because the coal industry is Australia's second largest export industry after iron ore and the LNG industry is an, is the next largest exporter. So our international trade is based on fossil fuels. So very big challenge for australia here now this union my union is in mostly in coal mining we do have a, a maritime division which has workers that are in oil and gas offshore oil and gas but the big chunk of our membership is in coal mining now what the report said was very interesting to me essentially saying that the unions in oil and gas know very little about just transition and they also have the view that the oil and gas industry is going to continue on quite strongly for quite a long time. And the oil companies themselves often think that. A key issue was that the oil and gas companies are likely not talking to their workers about the possibility of fossil fuel decline or the requirement for transition for the workers. So it's all going to come as a bit of a surprise when it happens. And this is the experience in coal mining, I think. Uh, And we have the problem that where it's not talked about, where it's not discussed a long way in advance, there's quite a lot of denialism. Now, in Australia, we have the situation that we've had a lot of big climate debates in Australia. We even call them the climate wars. And about 20% of the Australian population do not believe that global warming is a problem. So that's the sort of level of, what's the word? Dissension, lack of consensus on the need to address global warming, but What we face in Australia is a situation that domestic coal power is already strongly in decline. Fundamentally, not because of government policy, but mostly because of the improving economics of renewables. Australia is actually very rich in solar power and in wind. We were the the developed country that was most reliant in the entire world on coal. I think we had 85% of our power came from coal. It's now already dropped to 70%. It's widely expected to drop dropped down to 50 percent or less in just 10 years and there could well be a great deal more reduction than that so we have a situation where our coal power workers accept the need for transition because the owners of the coal power stations already have put closure dates on all their stations They're required by law in australia now you have to have a closure date and so that's already been announced so the coal power workers are interested in transition and very alive to the issue. And we are doing negotiations around collective bargaining agreements around redundancies and retraining and relocation. But we have just had the announcement just in the last few months that Japan and Korea will both have net zero emissions by 2050 and China announced it will have seek to have net zero emissions by 2060. Now those three countries account for 75 percent of australia's coal exports so we can expect coal exports to start declining in australia sooner than we thought i think within five years
11: and that's it international labor news you can use thank you for listening and remember it's all about global solidarity
12: This is Solidarity News on Radio Labour.
11: This is a Radio Labour report recorded on Tuesday, February 16th, 2021. I'm Mark Bolongian. The need for continuous development of skills amongst workers has become even more crucial as the pandemic changes the world of work drastically. In order to better understand what labor unions can do to help this skills development, the Workers' Activities Bureau of the United Nations International Labor Organization held a global webinar. The bureau operates under its French acronym, ACTRAV. One of the participants in the webinar was Martin Henry. Mr. Henry is a research officer with Education International, the global union for teachers and other educators. He raised a central question about how workers will be able to develop their employment skills as the pandemic continues on.
8: If in the time of COVID, we're talking about access via the internet and via ICT and those sorts of ways to innovative practice, how are we going to develop the whole of the world and the whole of the workers' population? There are equity issues in that that we have to resolve. And I'm working in Africa as we have been intensively over the past couple of months. Those questions in the education system are huge as well, where you've had many students who've not been at school. How do we connect them back into the system of working out how to develop their skills in a broad sense and how we get them connected to a whole life of learning so that they're going to be able to continue to grow and continue to think in this way? Unions also need to be involved in shaping the needs of workers and workers shaping their understanding, because it's not a one-way street. There has to be a negotiation between union management and workers on the shop floor about how those skills are changing and shifting. And they may also have requirements that are personal, that are about developing skills outside of the workplace and are connected to their communities and their ability to support and be engaged in sustainability issues, environmental issues, issues across a broader picture. We've also got to be clear that the knowledge that needs to be delivered in terms of the skills that are applicable in the workplace must be delivered by trained professionals. There are, of course, unions who are able to do that job. Now, I include unions as educators because they're trained professionals in their understanding of what the worker is experiencing and how the worker is responding. And when we talk about the barriers that have been thrown up, they're multifarious. I've already referred to the equity issue and the issue of access and internet, which must be overcome. There's also a fractured global infrastructure that must be brought together in a more cohesive way. And we've seen in the last few months in in very clear and no uncertain terms that a drive away from collaboration and cooperation across countries and between people is not going to help us either in facing COVID or in facing the challenges that skills changes are bringing to us. I think our ability to opt out of learning is disappearing. And there must be a way in which we recognize that as workers who take power in this question, that we must be central to the solution. To go back to my African colleague, who said, we're not just troublemakers running round, we're actually the glue that will hold this economy together. And that's only gonna happen through collaboration between all of us as unions in different areas that we're able to support each other. And as educators, we believe we've got a crucial role to play. We also believe that ILO has a crucial role to play, and we think that we should stiffen up the approach to lifelong learning by moving towards a lifelong learning guarantee. Because just saying we want it to happen doesn't mean that employers are gonna get a magic wand out of their back pocket and all of a sudden start putting their hands in deep and pulling out the cash to enable workers to do those shifts.
11: That's it international labor news you can It's important to remember our past, but only because it helps us face the present to make the future, and the future's always coming. Here's Benny's Guerra and gang with Solidarity Forever, the new millennium version.
8: No
9: more division, no, we're bringing a new vision And it's just in time for ashes, we give birth A new tradition, solidarity forever With a new millennium flavor Now we're resurrecting it, one century later Keep our feet fixed on the past In order to stay rooted in our minds, eye on tomorrow So that today we get through this, so that one day We're victorious, so just gather now, come near Divisions are created by those Who doubt and fear, we give thanks to all the workers Who put it all on the line, those who took it To the streets, moving crowds with conscious rhymes Those who gave their lives, give thanks To those who made lots, lots only work for those we make them, not break them, be patient The best way to protect your rights is by always knowing your rights Without our brain and muscle, not a single wheel can turn So put your hands together, all under one umbrella It's time for unity, solidarity forever ah.
8: your money's being hoarded and the people are unsupported social welfare's been aborted labor crimes go unreported when we try to fight back it seems we can't afford it we try to be united but they're implementing laws that are keeping us divided they're commodifying labor then they're bidding for the lowest they're thinking that it's clever but we know it's something better solidarity forever now jobs are disappearing and all we're ever hearing is pay a lot more get paid a little less work a little harder than work a little longer but we're taking it no longer we're decided we're uniting because together we are stronger the unions are got our backs cbas protections better wages a fact so we're making our choice and we're making some noise we're walking with poise and we're raising our voice we're singing
11: Of Solidarity Forever was produced. Okay, the new millennium
5: version of Solidarity Forever, following the uh, reports from Radio Labour. Okay, that first one was about Australia's coal industry, which is shrinking as we declare war on coal, which has poisoned the atmosphere and poisoned working people and all people for so long. We're having a problem figuring out how to replace it, although all the means are there. Um, Horrible weather in Texas, which is sort of unmasked the whole Texas situation. They had to have their own private uh, electric grid. (coughs) So now they're unable to borrow electricity from other
11: places.
5: (coughs) The governor, Abbott, was quick to point out, was quick to point out that the problem was... uh, wind energy, and solar energy that weren't producing. The, The turbines were frozen and they didn't work, which is not true, of course, which is a lie. What really happened is that the fossil fuel energy gave out. The state came very close to a full collapse of its electronic, of its electric grid. So this is this is going to be, you know, on our on our uh, table, on our desk for the near future and the far future. We've dedicated ourselves to coal, to oil, to things like fracking. And how are we going to get out? How how are we going to provide energy, the sun and the wind? Never mind what happened in Texas. Okay. I wanted to talk about Ibiko, you already played. Can we keep capitalism? This is Francesca Fiorentini talking about how capitalism funds climate change.
13: And stop climate change? In other words, can we have Amazon and the Amazon? What about if the boxes doubled as levies? Please! I'm Francesca Fiorentini and in this episode, we're looking at the failures of profit-driven climate change solutions and why the cooking of our planet is becoming a recipe for socialism. Once again, we've broken global temperature records, with July being the hottest month recorded since the invention of recording temperatures. Which, if you're a right-winger, sounds like very biased framing. The libs never wanna talk about the Hadean age when the Earth was molten lava. Typical. It's so hot that Greenland is losing ice that wasn't supposed to melt until 2070, the Arctic is on fire, and I'm pretending I belong at random pool parties. Oh, who who am I friends with? Oh, Derek. Or Michael. Matt. You're telling me there's no Matt here? So now seems like as good a time as every other moment prior till now to talk about climate change. The planet has already warmed by one degree Celsius since the time we started burning all these fossil fuels. And we're on track to warm by four degrees, possibly as soon as 2060. According to the most recent UN study, even two degrees of warming would mean millions more refugees, double the loss of food harvest, 10 centimeters of sea level rise, and an obliteration of all coral reefs. Which means we've got 12 years to have a shot at keeping the temperature to a still bad, but manageably terrifying one and a half degrees Celsius of warming. So yeah, banning plastic straws ain't gonna cut it. Even though it's fun to watch so-called liberal paper straws trigger our president into doing this.
14: His campaign started selling Trump-themed uh, plastic straws <laughs> so you could buy a pack of 10 for
13: $15. $15 for 10 straws? That's a $1.50 per straw. If that's how much Trump thinks straws cost, how much is his dealer charging him for Adderall? Yeah, that'll be uh, $700,000. Part of the reason we're at such a breaking point is thanks to years of shallow solutions, solutions often devised by the same corporate interests that got us into this mess in the first place. One of those solutions is carbon cap and trade, which tries to get polluters to pollute less by limiting the amount of carbon any corporation can emit, but also by allowing them to purchase carbon limits from other companies who haven't used theirs up. Cap and trade has already been implemented in countries around the world and in a number of US states, But many say that it doesn't actually stop emissions. It just spreads them around and creates a speculative market for carbon. Like, imagine if you could buy and sell Weight Watchers points to keep eating pizza. Someone would be making money, but no one's losing weight. Plus we'd see the rise of a frightening thin people mafia who control the whole racket. Just listen to one researcher who says cap-and-trade pushes us in the opposite direction of where we need to be going.
12: We need to overcome our addiction to fossil fuels, and the problem with cap-and-trade is, is that it stands in the way of doing that in, in many ways. It's 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 a way of providing pollution rights to some of the worst polluters so that they can delay the kind of structural change that's necessary.
13: He's right. That's not how you fight an addiction. If you want to get your brother off heroin, you don't split up his stash between your mom and dad like... Let's all just do a little bit of heroin to keep Brad from doing a lot of bit of heroin. At this point, cap and trade isn't even a relevant solution anymore because it's too slow to be viable. California, the second largest carbon polluter in the nation, but first in my heart, reduced its emissions by almost 9% in three years, which is not bad. But do the math. It's not nearly enough if we've got only 12 years to get to zero. Silicon Valley is still going to be underwater, and then we'll have to deal with a whole bunch of flotation device startups, and that just seems exhausting. So cap and trade won't get us there. What about innovation? We'll just ask the science nerds to come up with something. I mean, other than the ones telling us to stop burning fossil fuels. Innovation has been the aim of private companies also looking to get rich off the climate crisis, floating ideas like geoengineering, which includes one plan to spray reflective aerosols into the stratosphere to block the sun. Yeah, aerosol. If only our climate change denying president knew that this whole time the answer has been hairspray. Turns out, though, that that scheme, like many others, has too many unforeseen side effects to be feasible. Things like stopping rain and totally vindicating chemtrail conspiracies. Even if wacky inventions or cap-and-trade worked, they're still too slow. Meanwhile, the U.S. continues to subsidize the fossil fuel industry to the tune of $649 billion a year. So not only are they making the planet uninhabitable, they're getting a goddamn discount. These faux solutions have come and gone, all while climate change has been getting worse, which means now we need to do far more in way less time.
12: The longer we wait, the more that the response challenges our economic system because we need to cut so much and so deeply.
13: What does she mean that the response will challenge our economic system? Well, that's because our economic system is currently based on using up all of Earth's natural resources with no regard for the actual Earth all to turn a profit and create economic growth, or GDP. You remember GDP from our video on the economy, which you should totally watch. And while you're at it, subscribe. GDP is that phantom number that many agree is useless, but is actually incredibly harmful when it comes to climate change.
8: Since when was GDP a sensible measure of human welfare? And yet everything that governments want to do is to try to boost GDP. Now, People like the OECD or the World Bank who say, oh, we're not asking for a lot of growth, just 3% a year. That means doubling in 24 years. Yeah, we're bursting through all the environmental boundaries and screwing the planet already. You want to double it? We have to overthrow this system, which is eating the planet with perpetual growth.
13: I love how blown this host mind is. Rarely do you see the precise moment that someone gets woke. You mean it's not about plastic straws? Slowing down economic growth has actually been the only thing that has drastically stopped greenhouse gas emissions.
11: The only thing in the last 40 years that has measurably reduced global greenhouse gas emissions is reductions in economic growth. When the Eastern Bloc collapsed in the early 90s, that led to global emissions reductions.
13: He's right. After the collapse of the Soviet Union, greenhouse gas emissions dropped by about 40%. Apparently, people not eating meat because of the high prices had a lot to do with it. It was nothing but veggie borscht for them. And to think now it's way less painful to avoid eating meat with things like the Impossible Whopper, which I will try as soon as I stop being afraid of it. How does it bleed? The evidence is there that unless we're willing to rethink capitalism, we might have to rethink life itself. Because we can't have infinite growth on a finite planet. We've been obsessed with doing more to stop climate change, making even more money, when the answer is actually keeping fossil fuels in the ground. Doing less. Like Disney live-action reboots. Do less. Less extraction of oil, less production, fewer or no yachts for the DeVos family. Renewable energy, solar and wind can replace coal, gas and oil, but we still can't keep endlessly producing and consuming. Even a UN official back in 2015 said as much. And that got the attention of Fox News' Greg Gutfeld, who quoted her on his show.
6: This is probably the most difficult task (laughs) to intentionally transform the economic development model for the first time in human history.
13: And predictably, that was met with red-baiting.
6: Well, she's wrong. See Mao and the 50 million dead or Stalin. Hell, look at Venezuela right now. It's a crap show without toilet paper. Seriously, they don't have toilet paper in Venezuela.
13: Oh, where we're going, Greg, you won't need toilet paper because the whole world will be one giant bidet. You can wash your face, ass, wherever you want. Beyond the red-baiting, there's an honest question. If we slow down production, will there be jobs? Enter the Green New Deal, a plan introduced by Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and that other guy. The Green New Deal is a blueprint for a 10-year mobilization to get to net zero greenhouse gas emissions by taking major steps like moving to renewable energy and building public transportation, all with the labor of millions of newly created jobs.
12: This is a call to reorganize and to make sure that we are fighting for a just economy, for a just society, a just environment, and a just future for the United States of America and the world. Mm,
13: sorry, having an ASMR moment. And whenever there's a plan for massive public investment and putting people over profit, it scares the 1% and their mouthpieces a whole lot.
1: They went looking for an
15: issue that would justify a hostile takeover of the economy. Climate change seems scary, so they went with that.
13: Oh, my God. Tucker Carlson would rather human civilization die than live in a more equal country. Also, note what's going on just to his right. Yeah, those are updates on an abnormally large hurricane off the Gulf Coast. I love how there's an infiltrator at Fox fighting the machine from the inside, and it's the weather. It will be hard to rein in emissions and capitalism for that matter, but it is possible. We
12: must try, with your help, With your insistence, with your organizing, with your demands, with your voting, with your mobilizing a broader electorate than we have ever seen before in American history, we do not have to go down that path. It's too late to stop some climate
13: chaos. We're living it. But are we going to die from the things we love, no matter how humiliating? Will we be the David Carradine of civilizations? Or are we going to get real about real solutions?
8: There's time... But we can't do it by just pissing around at the margins of the problem. We've got to go straight to the heart of capitalism and overthrow it. In other words, wouldn't we rather be red
13: than dead? Thanks so much for watching News Follow me at Franny Fio and follow AJ Plus and News on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, all of things. Do you guys think that the U.S. has what it takes to transform to a new economic model? Could we, could we do it? Let me know in the comments below and we will see.
5: Francesca Fiorentini on the Newsbroke show talking about the nexus between destructive climate change and capitalism. The people who got us into this mess, (laughs) the capitalists, the drive to get rich, the Does the end justify the means? No, the end and the means are the same. If we base our whole energy industry on mad dash for profits, that's what'll happen. A few people will get profits and the rest of us will get the shaft. Francesca Fiorentini. play this by Sarah Jaffe. Sarah Jaffe is a labor writer and she's talking about the nature of work, a toxic U.S. work culture. Now let's have a listen to this.
10: I'm Amy Goodman. As Congress debates whether to raise the federal minimum wage to $15 an hour, fast-food workers in 15 cities held a Black History Month strike Tuesday as part of the Fight for 15 campaign and to emphasize the, quote, crisis among black communities who face generations of low pay and insufficient protections on the job. These are some of their voices.
6: Hi, my name is Mark Logan,
9: I'm from Detroit, Michigan, a fast-food worker at McDonald's minimum wage is $9.45. That's not enough. I'm going to strike today for a $15 hour
2: in the union job. My name is support.
15: fast food. Just like the young lady that spoke today, fresh on the job, I didn't understand what was going on. So I learned to put an armor on. I continue to smile and be friendly with my customers and I teach the crew to put on the same armor that I wear.
10: But this armor gets heavy, real heavy when you can't pay your bills. That last voice, Taco Bell worker Erica Hunt at a Fight for 15 protest in Wisconsin Tuesday. For more on fast-food workers, teachers, nurses, gig workers, uh, many others organizing to improve conditions, we're joined by Sarah Jaffe, longtime labor economic justice reporter who writes about all of this in her new book, Work Won't Love You Back, How Devotion to Our Jobs Keeps Us Exploited, Exhausted and Alone. Her feature in the new issue of The Nation magazine is headlined, First Nurses Saved Our Lives, Now They're Saving Our Health Care. Sarah, you are following um, our first discussion about the teachers' unions fighting for safe workplaces for kids to return to around the country, to their schools. And then we talked about this first-time union vote organizing effort in Bessemer, Alabama, at an Amazon warehouse. Your thoughts on jobs right now? (laughs) I think pretty much everyone's
14: job has gotten a lot worse in the last year right whether you're like me and suddenly you're trapped in this tiny little box here that you see me in pretty much you know for 10 hours a day every day or you're like those fast food workers or amazon workers you were just talking to who have to go into a workplace knowing that that workplace has just gotten a lot more dangerous i think we're all realizing how much worse things can get and it's making some of those workers, you know, more willing to stand up and speak out when, you know, it's not just that it's a bad grinding slow miserable job, but it's also a bad grinding slow miserable job that could kill you now.
10: You talk about the irony of the term Amazon fulfillment centers.
14: Hmm. Yeah, it's so interesting, right, because now we're all expected, like I write about in this book, to find fulfillment from our jobs. But actually, you know, when it comes down to it, we don't work because we're bored and just need something to do with our day. We work, like that last worker who was just speaking, was saying, because we have bills to pay. And when that work isn't covering the the, you know, the expenses that people have to feed their families it's a really big disconnect that we're still expected to show up. And what that last fast food worker was saying about putting on that armor every day was so striking, right? Because, like, you do, I remember from my time working in the service industry, sort of have to go in and
10: push all your feelings down and put on that smile. You write in your book, once upon a time it was assumed, to put it bluntly, that work sucked. What changed? Um, (laughs) Describe the evolution of the labor of love myth.
14: Yeah, so I I trace this in the book through the history of sort of women's unpaid work in the home and also the creative work of the artist, both of which are sort of always assumed to not be work at all. And as the decline of, of industrial labor through outsourcing, through automation, through changes in the shape of capitalism. what? we got instead was much more work like the people that we've just been talking about, like those Amazon workers, like those fast food workers, like the nurses and other healthcare workers that I wrote about in that Nation piece you mentioned, um, whose job is to provide the services that keep us all going, who are doing that so-called essential work that we've heard so much about since the pandemic. And that is work that often requires you to show up and put on that smile, um, that requires you to, if not actually enjoy it, at least sort of pretend and project the image that you're enjoying it in order to go to work. And so that—it's literally a change in just, like, the shape of the economy and what jobs people are doing. But then that also spreads into things like the Amazon Fulfillment Center, where if the narrative we hear over and over again is that we go to work in order to find fulfillment, then even, you know, the Amazon billboard that I saw the other day off of the New Jersey Turnpike that says, get a job delivering smiles. Is like, well, the, the conditions that that worker was just describing in the warehouse in Alabama don't sound terribly fulfilling and they don't sound like they'd make me smile.
10: So, how about teachers now being asked mm-hmm. to risk their lives to go back to school? And then, of course, you have nurses doing mm-hmm. the same thing, risking their lives every day, and they're not only fad- fighting to save their patients, but now the healthcare system changing. Them. Yeah. Yeah,
14: I mean, teachers are—I write in the book sort of the ultimate laborers of love, and we've had— decades, maybe centuries, of expecting them to make up for all of the gaps in the social safety net just by loving the kids that they teach more and more and more. And so, you know, we're seeing right now sort of the real return of this demonizing teacher's rhetoric in yet another way, because teachers are not willing to march back into, in many cases, overcrowded, underfunded schools that haven't had repairs. In Philadelphia, they were talking about, like, you know, strapping a a box fan. To a window to create ventilation so that the virus supposedly wouldn't spread in these school buildings that are overcrowded. In Los Angeles, I think the last time we spoke was when I was in L.A. for the teacher's strike there, and they were fighting to get class sizes down from 45 students in a room that is supposed to house, you know, 20. And you know, you can't socially distance you can't socially distance with 25 kids in a room, let alone when you've packed 40 of them in a room that is supposed to have 25. So the, the very things that teachers have been demanding that would have made the schools more safe to reopen in the first place, they're now getting blamed for not being able to solve that problem. And it's just this ongoing expectation that teachers can somehow, with their just pure motivation and love and care,
10: overcome all of these obstacles that we have put as a society in their way. And nurses, let's end there, since it's yeah. also what yeah. you wrote your nation peace on. Yeah,
14: absolutely. Nurses who have been fighting since the beginning of the pandemic just to get enough masks and gowns to keep them safe while they're trying to save lives. And in between, you know, they've been the nurses unions like National Nurses United, like New York State Nurses Association have been the loudest voices in this country saying for, again, for decades that we need a real national healthcare system that would actually prioritize public health because this pandemic has taught us that we are only as well as the last person to get. Back vaccinated as the last person to get health care.
10: We want to thank you, Sarah Jaffe, for being with us, longtime labor and economic justice reporter. Her new book, Work Won't Love You Back, How Devotion to Our Jobs Keeps Us Exploited, Exhausted, and Alone. That does it for our show. Happy birthday to Neil.
5: Journalist Sarah Jaffe talking about... uh work won't love you back. Pero a mí no me creen, but don't take my word for it, he says.
15: Ay. cómo la ver? Los primeros en morir en Irak, latinos. Pero que no nos quieren aquí, dice Chihuahua, cómo está la cosa. Vamos a ver. Dicen que los gringos son unos hombres muy valientes Por eso mandan latinos primeritos para el frente Y los ricos se presentan como gente muy patriota Por eso la clase obrera está en Irak calzando botas Pero a mí no me crean lo que les digo Ahí tienen la tele Como testigo, pero a mí no me crean lo que les digo. Hay quien en la tele, como testigo. Por allá andan presumiendo sus aviones invisibles, que sus bombas solo matan a soldados y a civiles. A ah, Chihuahua, ¿cómo está eso? También dicen que sus bombas no se han dirigido mal. Han caído en edificios y uno que otro hospital. Pero a mí no me crean lo que les digo. Hay quien en la tele. Como testigo Pero a mí no me crean Lo que les digo Ahí tienen la tele Como testigo Y cuentan que los Hussein Son unos hombres muy matones Pero como van las cosas A Bush no le llegan Ni a los talones Otros dicen que la ONU se opuso a la invasión No sabiendo esa señora Que Bush era su patrón Pero a mí no me crean lo que les digo Ahí tienen la tele como testigo Pero a mí no me crean lo que les digo Ahí tienen la tele como testigo Ay, 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 CNN, Fox News, Univisión Todos dicen y dicen Y si lo dicen, por algo lo dicen Pero a la hora de la hora No sé ni lo que dicen Solo que otros dicen que esta guerra es ilegal Pero por nosotros ser gabachos Eso no se ve tan mal Soy jornalero, disque ilegal Pero qué suerte la mía Si me voy para Irak Push me da, ciudadanilla. En la tumba, en la tumba, ya con esta me despido de esta gran calamidad. Les deseo mucha suerte, descubriendo la verdad. Pero a mí no me crean lo que les digo. Ahí tienen la tele como testigo. Pero a mí no me crean lo que les digo. Ahí tienen la tele como testigo. Laila, la laila.
0: i Sometimes I'm right, and I can be wrong. My own beliefs are in my songs. Butcher, the baker, the drummer, and then makes no difference what group I'm in.
4: Well, sometimes I'm right, and I can be wrong. Bye.
5: playing for change feature there. That was Everyday People, the Sly Stone hit. Sylvester Sly Stone, right? Sly Stone had a very meteoric career going up and down. Uh, What's going on? Marvin Gaye and before that Francisco Herrera fixture in the San Francisco music scene for many, many years. Francisco Herrera. This is the B and we're coming at you from Mutiny Radio and that Mutiny Radio right now is situated at 2781 21st Street, corner of Florida We got about, what, 15, 20 minutes to go here. And we'll have to do labor history, too. Standing up by sitting down, February
16: 17th. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1936. That was the day more rubber workers sat down in Akron, Ohio. Tire builders in Goodyear's plant number two, Department 251A, sat down when 700 co-workers were laid off. Goodyear had been running four six-hour shifts. They hoped to reduce the workforce by implementing three eight-hour shifts with no increase in pay. Management moved quickly to fire all of the strikers. By this day, all 4,000 workers at Goodyear voted to strike over the layoffs and firings, the speed-ups, and the new shift hours and pay. The enormous 11-mile facility was immediately shut down. In his book, Strike, historian Jeremy Breacher indicates that few, if any, were union members. The United Rubber Workers Union was hesitant to associate itself with the sit-down. Rubber workers organized themselves. They set up 24-hour pickets at dozens of gates, built striker shanties, and set their demands. After six days, the United Rubber Workers Union sanctioned the strike. Breacher described the scene writing, quote, The company secured an injunction against mass picketing. 10,000 tradespeople from across the city gathered with lead pipe and baseball bats to stop 150 sheriff's deputies from opening the plans. The Summit County Central Labor Council guaranteed a general strike if Law and Order League vigilantes carried out their threatened March 18th attack on picket lines. The vigilante movement was paralyzed. Federal mediators demanded a return to work and arbitration. Workers responded, no, no, a thousand times no. I'd rather die than say yes. Finally, Goodyear capitulated on most of the demands, except formal recognition of the union. Rubber workers returned to work largely victorious. After renewed struggles, workers finally won union recognition a year later. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1910. That was the day streetcar workers in Philadelphia walked off the job just as garment workers were ending their victorious strike. The walkout soon turned into a general strike. The Amalgamated Association of Street and Electrical Railway Employees Local 477 had been trying to negotiate fewer hours, higher wages, and union recognition for almost a year. Philadelphia Rapid Transit broke off negotiations in mid-February fired 173 union members, and imported scab replacements from New York City. The Amalgamated Association of Street and Electric Railway employees called workers out. Strikers pulled apart buildings under construction and used the materials to block tracks and build strike shelters. Many trolley cars were badly damaged when the Philadelphia Rapid Transit attempted to resume service. Scab drivers fared as badly as the trains they attempted to run. The mayor called for citizens to serve police duty after strikers loaded dynamite onto tracks in Germantown. The union offered up its members to preserve order, but the mayor refused. Then the Philadelphia Rapid Transit brought in an additional 600 scabs and National Guardsmen to protect them. Area workers were infuriated at this latest move, as were small businesses and religious groups. On March 5th, the Central Federated Union called a general strike. More than 75,000 workers stayed off the job to protest anti-worker assaults. Though the general strike was called off at the end of March, transit workers stayed out until April 19th. They won wage increases, rehiring of strikers, and mediation for the initial 173 fired workers. They could not secure exclusive union recognition, but the strike solidified solidarity among area workers and demonstrated the capacity of labor to organize work actions across industrial lines. I'm Rick Smith. And this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1805. That was the day that abolitionist and women's rights advocate Angelina Grimke was born. Her parents were slaveholders and among the wealthiest in Charleston, South Carolina. As a young woman, she denounced slavery and together with her sister Sarah moved north to Philadelphia to join the Quakers. There she became a teacher and grew frustrated with how the Quakers approached abolitionism. She quickly gravitated towards radical abolitionists like William Lloyd Garrison and became active in the Philadelphia Female anti-slavery society she became prominent in abolitionist circles in 1835 after garrison published her letter condemning pro-slavery riots in boston the next year she published an open letter to southern women demanding they condemn the institution of slavery angelina and sarah embarked on abolitionist speaking tours and the organizing of women's anti-slavery Society. Having grown up in the South, the Grimke sisters held a special authority among northern abolitionists. They could testify to the severity and inhumanity of the slave system. They did so in the book, American Slavery As It Is. Written together with Angelina's husband, abolitionist Theodore Well Controversy intensified against Angelina and her sister as their popularity grew Religious leaders and abolitionists alike bristled at the idea of women engaging in public speaking and political work Undeterred, the sisters defended their right to be on equal footing with men in the abolitionist movement Harriet Beecher Stowe's sister Catherine, a leading educator, was among those who decried women's public activism Angelina responded that all humans are moral beings worthy of human rights, regardless of gender. Her response served as an early contribution to the women's rights movement of the 19th century.
5: Okay, there's our labor history. Uh, general strike in uh, Philadelphia. The sit-down strikes in the auto industry in the 1930s and the life of Angelina Grimke, a very early abolitionist who was not content to just oppose slavery, but actually organized and spoke out against it. The Grimke sisters, what is it? Let me ask this rhetorical question. What is it that makes some of us some of us get upset at the conditions that uh, that people are in including ourselves of course what is it that imperative that makes people speak out and organize and yes vote against social injustice What does it take to make a social justice educator or citizen? wish I knew. Uh, Because some people are into it, as they say, and some people aren't. One of our, uh, take a look at our credos. One of our credos deals with. Not in, just not into that. Let's, let's find that one. Well, here's one about women and their rights and their wrongs. And the penalty for aborting after rape is more severe than the penalty for rape. That's when you know it's a war on Kids don't have a little brother working in the coal mine. They don't have a little sister coughing her lungs out in the looms of the big mill towns of the Northeast. Why? Because we organized. We broke the back of the sweatshops in this country. We have child labor laws. These were not benevolent gifts from enlightened management. They were fought for. They were bled for. They were died for by working people, by people like us. Kids ought to know that. That's why I sing these songs. That's why I tell these stories, damn it. No root, no fruit. Here's a reminder from Robert Reich. Your reminder that the richest 1% own half of the stock market. And the richest 10% own almost all of it. So when Trump brags about the stock market, he's not talking about the economy that 90% of Americans inhabit. Not just Trump. Put on your favorite news show and you'll see in the little corner there, there's the S&P 500. There's the Dow Jones average and it tells what they're doing. Stocks are a way for investors to control companies, or for companies to raise money and maintain their power over their workers. Let's see what else. Pity the nation, says Lawrence Ferlinghetti. Pity the nation whose people are sheep and whose shepherds mislead them. Pity the nation whose leaders are liars, whose sages are silenced and whose bigots haunt the airwaves. Pity the nation that raises not its voice except to praise conquerors and acclaim the bully as hero and aims to rule the world. By force and by torture pity the nation that knows no other language but its own and no other culture but its own. Pity the nation whose breath is money and sleeps the sleep of the too well-fed. Pity the nation, oh pity the people who allow their rights to erode and their freedoms to be washed away. My country, tears of thee, Sweet land liberty. Jesse Mimmer, can I tell you a secret? I don't even care if they're undocumented immigrants in this country. Without Social Security numbers, they aren't privy to the welfare people claim they get. vast majority of them are normal people trying to live a better life. This whole wall the port the illegals bullshit is just the 1% convincing the working poor to blame a subset of the working poor for the fact that they're all poor. (coughs) Instead of realizing they are all poor, the reason is due to the vast income equality and resource price inflation in combination with wage stagnation, please use your brains. The existence of another poor person is not why you're poor. It's because the people who control everything refuse to increase your wages. So, just not into politics. Democratic Socialists of Los Angeles. So you're just not that into politics. Your boss is. Your landlord is. Your insurance company is. And every day they use their political power to keep your pay low, raise your rent, and deny you coverage. Maybe it's time to get into politics. Those are our credos, and I wanted to play a little bit at least. February 21st, 1965, uh, Malcolm X was assassinated with the uh, collusion of the New York Police Department, the CIA and the FBI, as well as the black Muslim members who actually pulled the trigger. Uh, I guess we'll wait on. Play the very beginning. We've only got about five minutes here. This documentary was produced by, among other people, Angela Davis, Danny Glover, Eddie Conway. like every year we honor Malcolm's life and commit to carrying on his fight.
8: The thing that I found in all of my travels was that uh, all of the Africans, not only the Africans but the Asians and the Muslims, look upon us as their long-lost
5: brothers. And America had actually tricked many of them uh, into uh, a hands-off policy by giving them the impression that she was honestly trying to do something to solve the problem. My argument over there was designed to prove that it is impossible for the United States government to solve the race problem.
6: It's impossible. Are you prepared to work with some of the leaders of the other civil rights organizations? Certainly.
5: Certainly. We will work with any uh, groups, organizations, or leaders in any way, as long as it's genuinely designed to get results. Salam alaikum. Mr. Moderator. Okay, we'll play the rest of of that beautiful biography next week. Right now, I want to put on what's sort of becoming, quickly becoming our uh, our uh, theme. <laughs> Workers walk, walk. off. And we'll go out with this one. This is a reminder of work, what workers can do when they're united.
4: Y'all got them fucked up. Come <laughs> on, Look at 'em. They sent a couple of them home, they all packed they shit up and shut this motherfucker down. Nigga, who do y'all think y'all playing with? Mexico, man. This is what black people need to be on, man. I swear to god, I love this shit. They are packing they shit up and shutting this motherfucker, huh? Uh, on oh, my mama, all that shit. <laughs> they are not bullshitting.
5: Okay, this has been Labor and Love Radio. If one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. Never, never give your heart to someone who is not a friend of labor. It's only a waste of time.
4: Look at this, man. They shut this big motherfucker down today, man. We all going
5: home, man. The S.A.'s If you don't have a seat they at the table, the negotiating bad table bad. where you work, quiet. you're on the Dem- menu. Stay, Stay tuned, tuned please. For flat black plastic. And really, and walk. what
9: I'm talking about, baby. I swear to God, they got me here and up. Oh, my Malcolm Beck shit.
4: Oh, my mama, nigga. Fuck the bullshit, nigga. Look at this. They shut this bitch down. They pissed them off, nigga. they said, fuck you. We out. We not working no more today. Kiss my ass, nigga. I'll let y'all tomorrow. Oh, my mama. That's correct. Look. Ain't nobody here. We're just cleaning up, we're going home.
5: Guy was taking video of it, he worked with another, another I he was so impressed.
16: <laughs> well, I mean, where, uh, are different year?
9: Oh, yeah. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Mutiny Radio. FM has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat.
12: <laughs> As the world gets wackier and less predictable in every way, it is more important than ever for us to all remember our roots. We wouldn't be here today if our ancestors hadn't had the capacity and the skills to take care of themselves and their communities using the resources in the natural world around them and their own two hands. My name is Wonia Thibault of Buckskin Revolution and Alone Season Six. And I started Buckskin Revolution not just to empower people with a wider range of skills to meet their basic needs, but also to inspire them with a sense of fulfillment and connection that comes with living a little closer to the earth and using our bodies, our minds, and our very DNA for what they evolved to do to help us thrive without the need for modern technology and industry. If that sounds appealing to you, I hope you'll join me for the Fall 2020 Buckskin Revolution Online Skills Gathering, an eight-week learning experience designed to work within any schedule. It involves pre-recorded classes, live interactive sessions, and online community learning support from both myself and your fellow students. The need for these skills has never been more pressing, and Buckskin Revolution is working hard to bring them to you. I hope you can join us.
17: Get connected with yourself and the world around you at BuckskinRevolution.com Billy Bob,
9: you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs
0: think I'm funny, Daryl.
9: Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead peasants?
0: Oh, shit! From time to time, I've <laughs>
9: given it a thought about you know, if you go to Joke Workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it.
0: Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes?
9: And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements.
5: No way. What is this nabbit thing called?
9: It's Joke Workshop. Joke
17: at 20th and Alabama for Titans of Comedy every Saturday at 2 o'clock. Hey, keep supporting local businesses and comedy here in San Francisco with your friends at Mutiny Radio.
4: St. Valentine's Day Mascara streaming live on Facebook Sunday, February 14th 11 a.m. An international affair hosted by Ms. Noir.
3: Do you crave a carnal Are you longing for some lecherous lines? Is it seduction from a sultry sun? Or would you rather be ravished by a woman and drive? Care to mention a little voyeuristic versification with this lyrical libertine? Or could this want of words meant maybe be an appetite for an allegorical adultery? Why not slake your literary in a personal one-on-one? St. Valentine's Day Mascara. St. Valentine's Day Mascara. St. Valentine's Day Mascara, 14th of February 2021,
1: 11am PST, Facebook Live. A date for everyone, hosted by Ms. Noir.
17: Talk to under at SkinOnSkins.com at 20th and Mission. Check them out at SkinOnSkins.com.